October 9th. Our reading in the New Testament today will be from the book of 1 Thessalonians 1.1 through 2.8. And we'll see that Paul's description of the believers in Thessalonica suggests that they typify a pretty uh, ideal congregation. Ask yourself these questions. Are others thankful for me? The Paul was grateful for their faith, hope, and love, and that these Christians and the Christian qualities they were showing reveal themselves in work, labor, and practice. Now, can others tell that we belong to God? Are they thankful for our spiritual growth? Is God's power seen in my life? This comes when you receive the Word of God by faith and allow the Spirit of God to minister to your heart. It also involves suffering for the Lord and letting Him give you His joy. And one final question here for you. Do I make it easier for others to talk about Jesus? Some believers are such poor examples as Christians that their lives give unbelievers an excuse for rejecting Christ. But the Thessalonian Christians made it easy for Paul to preach the gospel. Their testimony had gone before him and met him wherever he went. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. October 9th, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 8. This letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. It is written to the church in Thessalonica, You who belong to God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, may His grace and peace be yours. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and your continual anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that He chose you to be His own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit, in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all the Christians in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare His good news to you boldly, even though we were surrounded by many who opposed us. So you can see that we were not preaching with any deceit or impure purposes or trickery. For we speak as messengers who have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you very well know. And God is our witness 
that we were not just pretending to be your friends so you would give us money. As for praise, we have never asked for it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands on you, but we were as gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we gave you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. In verse 14 we see Israel saying skeptically, but I don't feel loved. But Zion says, the Lord has forsaken me, the Lord has forgotten me. He says, I feel forsaken, you've forsaken, forgotten me. I'm surrounded by needs now, I've got needs now, I'm surrounded by tragedy now. So how does God deal with this? How does God deal with this despondency, this sense of forsakenness? And in verse 15, can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Mother's love for a child is not just physical and emotional, it's unconditional. How indestructible is a mother's love for her child? And now God says, I want you to compare that to me. God is saying, do you know what he's saying here? He says, you see mother love, it's nothing compared to my love for you. You see her physical love? You see her very being moves her towards you? Do you know that everything about my glory, everything about my faithfulness, everything about my very nature drives me powerfully towards you? I'm a God of love. I'm a God of faithfulness. You give me nothing. It's nothing but take, 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 take. You're completely selfish. You add no value to my life at all, and I absolutely love you unconditionally. But guess what? God's not done, because ultimately this is still talk. And if you only have words and not action, in the end, you don't believe the person loves you. Because in the end, what really convinces you that somebody loves you is not talk, but action. In verse 16, the metaphor changes and says, See, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Now, at first, that looks like just another lovely metaphor about his devotion. And here's the reason why. It was sometimes true in ancient times that the name of a master might be tattooed on the servant. But never, ever, ever, ever is the name of the servant tattooed on the master. That would mean a master who's devoted to the servant. And of course, well, that's what we have here. Isn't that beautiful? It's another metaphor of God's love. But no, it's not a beautiful metaphor. It's a horrible metaphor. You know why? It doesn't say tattoo. It says, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. And that word engraved is a very specific Hebrew word that means engrave with a hammer and a chisel or a spoon. Conjure up the image of someone out of love letting people take a hammer and drive a spike right into the palm of their hands. Isn't that horrible? Yes, it is horrible. Doesn't that make you cringe? Yes, it makes you cringe. Isn't that crazy? No, it's not crazy. Centuries later, there was a man named Thomas. Jesus Christ appears to him, and he says, Look at the palms of my hands. See my love for you. Look at what's on the palm of my hands. See, that's your final argument, because it's more than an argument. It's a deed. This is not just talk. This is action. You know why it's a final argument? What if you say, oh, I can't believe God loves me because look at all the awful stuff in me, the things that I have done. You know what Jesus says? You're afraid that God's going to forsake you? On the cross, I was forsaken. My God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? I was forsaken. I got the forsakenness that you sense that you deserve so that now, no matter what you do, God will never forsake you. He loves you as unconditionally as a mother loves her nursing infant. 
Well, you say, well, what about all these other things out here? But don't you see, I've done the thing that you really need. My love is unconditional. It is indestructible. And I absolutely love you unconditionally forever and ever. Psalm 79, verses 1 through 13. Once again, Asaph is lamenting the invasion of the enemy, and he had several concerns. Number one concern was God's inheritance. The temple was defiled, the city destroyed, and the people slain. God permitted these things to happen to his inheritance. Asaph confessed the sins of the nation and asked God to honor his name before the nations. Another concern was God's wrath. Asaph asserted, Pour out your wrath, avenge our blood. Well, years later, that prayer was answered, and God punished Babylon for the way she treated Israel. And finally, his concern was for God's people. They are your servants and your saints, the sheep of your pastor, if you will. Care for them, Lord. Deliver them. Well, God did care for them, but he also chastened them so that they might learn to obey his will. When you want God to be harder on others than he is on you. Well, it's time to start seeing your sins the way God sees them. Psalm 79, verses 1 through 13, a psalm of Asaph. O God, pagan nations have conquered your land, your special possession. They have defiled your holy temple and made Jerusalem a heap of ruins. They have left the bodies of your servants as food for the birds of heaven. The flesh of your godly ones has become food for the wild animals. Blood has flowed like water all around Jerusalem. No one is left to bury the dead. We are mocked by our neighbors, an object of scorn and derision to those around us. O oh Lord, how long will you be angry with us? Forever? How long will your jealousy burn like fire? Pour out your wrath on the nations that refuse to recognize you on kingdoms that do not call upon your name. For they have devoured your people Israel, making the land a desolate wilderness. Oh, do not hold us guilty for our former sins. Let your tender-hearted mercies quickly meet our needs, for we are brought low to the dust. Help us for the honor of your name. Oh, save us and forgive our sins for the sake of your name. Why should pagan nations be allowed to scoff, asking, Where is their God? Show us your vengeance against the nations, for they have spilled the blood of your servants. Listen to the moaning of the prisoners. Demonstrate your great power by saving those condemned to die. O Lord, take sevenfold vengeance on our neighbors, for the scorn they have hurled at you. Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will thank you forever and ever, praising your greatness from generation to generation. Proverbs 24, verses 30 through 34. I walked by the field of a lazy person, the vineyard of one lacking sense. I saw that it was overgrown with thorns. It was covered with weeds, and its walls were broken down. Then, as I looked and thought about it, I learned this lesson. A little extra sleep, a little more slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will pounce on you like a bandit. Scarcity will attack you like an armed robber.